2: Hey, and welcome to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. First, a thank you to Ben Sterling of the band Cookies for the new theme song, as well as break song, which you'll be hearing uh, from here on out. And a huge thank you to the perennial plate, Daniel Klein and Mira Fine. Thank you for being in the studio yet again. Thanks Thanks for for having having us. us. So you guys were here... (laughs) Uh, <laughs> jinx. That, jinx. <laughs> that would be the worst interview if you guys jinxed each other and no one could talk for <laughs> <about laughs> the <today. hugely laughs> embarrassing. You guys were actually here uh, just over a year ago. Uh, I think September 13th. It, you could check it in our archives. Um, and then I think you had just wrapped or were about to wrap your real world uh, tour nationally. Yes. And now you are coming back from the first leg of your real world uh, international tour. So uh, thank you for stopping by again
1: yeah
3: it's really good to be back we had i don't know if it was a day before we did a dinner at prune and now this is two days before we're doing a dinner at governor in brooklyn which i'm
2: so excited about got my ticket we'll be there we'll talk about that a little more at the end because there are still some seats available for it right yeah people cancel it's really annoying sons (laughs) sons of bitches I, i will not i might move my reservation back a little bit but i am coming no doubt about it um i swear i've gotten like three emails being like it's sold out
3: and then like (laughs) a day later it's like not anymore no
2: well hopefully you guys are interesting and intriguing enough during this interview that we will fill those seats no problem yes it's it's a lot of pressure (laughs) japan china amazing places aren't in the states (laughs) no how was it? Di- how was it different uh, to acclimate yourself to both those countries and cultures for, you know, the perennial plight?
4: Well, I think we would be remiss not to touch on the Japanese toilet first of all, which <laughs> is like sitting on a computer—the most <laughs> amazing experience um, and I've the, ever had—and had. the
3: Chinese toilet, which is like not sitting on a, you know, swamp. <laughs> 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 um, but. It was a really, a huge challenge, actually, to the difference between filming around the United States and filming internationally. We were, you know, six months around the United States doing a year's worth of videos, um, documenting stories. Almost every day we were filming something. And then to go to a country where you don't speak the language, where you have to work through a translator, was really, really hard because... Mostly you don't know what people are saying. And, you know, a huge part of being a a documentary filmmaker is kind of um, trying to bring out the the genuine moments that people are talking about. And when someone's speaking in a different language, it's very hard to gauge what those genuine moments are and if they've actually, you know, like, spoken in a complete sentence, which is very important for uh, telling a story. You need someone to tell the whole concept. You can't leave something out.
4: Yeah, it becomes a more um, formal interview, which is something that we don't normally do. You know, like when we're going around the United States, we usually live with people for a couple days. You know, we want to have casual conversations. And I think that's when the best um, nuggets come out, you know. So this was, this is proving to be a little bit different.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, as a cultural obstacle, language being the first, I mean, I'm sure there are body movements or, or way people move around that must be some kind of signifier uh, for being you know a very important thing that they're doing.
3: Oh yeah for sure I mean and and I f- we found that to be perhaps a little bit easier in, in China where people are more expressive um, Japan is such a uh, in one way reserved culture, respectful culture that it was still hard even to read those symbols yeah. you know um, and it, But that's okay. I mean, part of the reason why we want to do these videos in, around the world is to observe these cultural differences and kind of... It, we're looking at food, but we're looking at it through this lens of a different country, a different culture, a different way of going about work. And so to interview someone in a slightly different manner that's comfortable for them, I think hopefully is able to convey a bit of that the difference, you know, yeah. and, and shine light onto what's special about Japan.
2: Yeah. You know? So, I mean, <coughs> aside from just Japan and China, which you were in, uh, you know, a big shout-out to Intrepid for you know, sponsoring you guys to go around the globe. You're going to places like India in a couple of weeks, Sri Lanka, um, where else? Turkey, South Africa, Argentina. Now, how did you pick these locations? Was it about the food? Was it about uh, the location itself, or was it just literally spin the globe, put a finger on it?
3: Well, it- It was pretty much the... It was like, where in the world do you want to (laughs) go? Yeah, they they posed that question to us, which is amazing. So, Are you kidding me?
4: We got to pick... um, Originally, it started with six places. So we sat down and tried to think about which places we really wanted to go to, just because we wanted to go, and which would be really good for food stories. Um, And then when we came down with those six, we went back to Intrepid and told them about it. And they just added an additional trip. So... We said, okay, we're going to go to Japan. And they said, okay, well, why don't we send you to Japan and China? And we were like, okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were like, India. And they were like, and how about Sri Lanka, too? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, And so the way, the way it came about is we made this video about a trip we took to Vietnam with Intrepid Travel that turned out really well and they really liked and lots of people watched it. Um, and so we had been kind of trying to figure out what should we do next after going around the country thinking we'd do more stuff in the country um and then we saw we saw we saw the success of that and we're like oh maybe we should you know approach them with it we're like hey what do you think about doing this around the world and they were like actually (laughs) that's a good idea
4: because they're australian you know they're just really nice nice. (laughs) (laughs)
3: they're just like sure (laughs) 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 why why aren't you going
2: to australia this trip then
3: that's a good question (laughs) i think i think as a company they have um a lot of uh i don't know if the words influence but the big market in australia already and so they're trying to expand it to the rest of the world yeah um and so looking at different places outside of australia you
2: could take your victory lap there yeah Um, Yeah. but let's go back to japan and china now i loved how organic uh, your videos are from moving from one subject to the next uh, you know, you would drive about, you'd find a new person, strike up conversation, often take leads from other subjects in a place that you can't speak the language. What was that first day in Japan like, just acclimating yourself to it?
4: Um, It was insane. And the I did first... read your blog post. Which one?
2: About the first day in Japan. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. That was, that was also unfortunate. The, the
3: Japan, The Japan where I left you... Um, sick? Yeah, I
4: don't travel internationally very much. I mean, I can't say that anymore. Now I do, but I haven't before. Um, Daniel's traveled all over the place by himself. He's like hitchhiked through Afghanistan or something along those lines. And so (laughs) we went to Tokyo and um, he went to um, a really fancy sushi restaurant and I'm a vegetarian so he's like, why don't you just sit across the street at this cafe, you know, read or something or learn Japanese and I'm going to have this amazing meal. So I was sitting there, and I started feeling really sick, because the first day was really intense.
2: I mean, how long is the flight from, well, were you flying out of Minnesota?
4: Yeah, maybe like, I think 13. We flew to Seattle, and then we flew to Japan. So I think it was like 13 hours from Seattle to Japan. Yeah, plus the four or
3: five hour flight to Seattle.
4: But then the next morning, we got up at 4.30 to go to the uh, Tsukiji Market. We were, you know, up all day. Yeah. And then the fancy restaurant. So, yeah.
2: so I mean, in, in your head, you're in Japan and you say, I'm going on Mikasa. First day in, did you research these restaurants? Uh, do you know where to go? Or are you, again, looking towards locals to kind of direct you?
3: I did for, for Tokyo for a few, like, I I figured it's so expensive there. Everything is expensive. You go to a cheap meal and it's still, like, 30 $40. So, it's, like, hard. <laughs> you have to, like, choose your your strong meals you know and so there was two places that i felt like i had enough money to go to or didn't really have enough money but was willing to sacrifice for um and i did a bunch of research and actually tried to get into a number of the more famous sushi restaurants the three michelin star places you know jiro and stuff like that and couldn't even a month in advance get a table um and so I actually, uh, through the power of the internet, I've got this, a friend on Twitter, Chuck Eats, who eats around, um, around the world. And he's like, you have to go to this place. And it's like, um, there's no sign. It's down a basement. You would, you'd pretty much never know that it existed. I ended up sitting next to like these, the guy who invented the, uh, the phone camera and like (laughs) the president of the largest, um, telephone network there. And they were like, how did you know about this place? So there's like I guess this whole culture of places that just exist and create a huge a high quality of food that's sort of unparalleled in the rest of the world, but that have no uh, reason or desire to try to get critical acclaim because they have this built-in network or um, there's a knowledge base of people who know that yeah. this is where you get well, incredible again, food. Again, you said
2: Twitter. Um, where I remember initially, you, you were kind of crowdsourcing via Twitter while you were driving around the country. Through that advent, how, how amazing is it to travel uh, and find you know good food and stories about that? Yeah,
3: I mean, that's one of the best things about Twitter, for sure. Just your ability to connect with people in places that you've never been and maybe never have w- would go to, or if you search about it, you wouldn't be able to find it. But being able to connect with individuals in each of those locales and, and find, uh, really sources of information that are very regionally specific or city specific. It's really,
4: although I feel like it was still a lot harder to find stories than it was around the country.
3: Oh, yeah. For tapping into Stories International, is still, still much harder.
2: Well, I mean, was it more restaurant-based, or was it more maker-based? Because, I mean, the personalities you found here were not necessarily chefs operating a restaurant. They were people in the field or, you know, mavens or artisans.
4: Yeah, we still want it to be maker-based. That's, yeah. That's the goal.
2: And we even
3: filmed at some, um, you know, like, uh, there's Kikunoi Restaurant... Uh, three michelin star place in kyoto that um does the kaiseki you know the extended tasting menu and we were interested in in filming there mostly because i was just really (laughs) curious about it and wanted to go um but it, it didn't fit our style in the end and i don't i hope maybe we'll end up using some of the interview later and some of the beauty shots we've used but um, it's not really what our show is about. Our show is about people who grow their own food or produce their own food. Or
2: I mean, it's still overriding sustainability. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so then, being in Japan, you know, and obviously having the, this new palette of food, and actually, mirror, being a vegetarian, um, I know from traveling, having an allergy to something, how hard it is to navigate that. Being in a completely different culture, uh, how do you uh, how do you deal with that is it, is it a cultural thing that you know, people don't understand? Is it something that you have to present to others? Or is it something you just avoid?
4: Um, that's a good question. It was actually, you know, before going to, on this trip, everyone who I talk to who knows I'm a vegetarian would say, oh, Japan will be great, but good luck in China. That's going <laughs> to suck. Yeah. You know? And it was actually the opposite. In China, they have this thing, you know, yin and yang, So the philosophy of yin and yang is very prevalent in um, all parts of Chinese culture. And so the yin represents vegetables and the yang represents meat, except um, donkey meat somehow falls into the yin section, (laughs) (laughs) which is why they like donkey meat so much. But so the balance of having both is really important. So it was really easy to find stuff that had vegetables in it. And they were, like, the most amazing vegetables ever, probably because they were, like, made with, like, pork stock, and yeah. <laughs> like, you know. But, you know, I feel like in going into these countries, I can't be so picky, you know, because it's going to be very difficult. We were in, like, random tiny villages in the middle of nowhere in Yunnan province. and. Um, they were recycling oil over and over again. And in those cases, I think it's difficult to say like, hey, can you actually use a different oil for me? Yeah. You know? yeah. so, <laughs> instead, you just eat it and, and you deal with it. Japan, I had a really hard time.
3: Yeah, she ate rice and miso soup, probably like seven consecutive meals. Yeah,
2: but great rice and miso soup. That's true. true. Yeah. yeah,
4: really good. Yeah. But we would go to some restaurants and say, hey, do you have any vegetarian options? And they would say, no, of course not. You know, which I thought was really shocking for japan
2: yeah and what kind of proteins i mean you just mentioned i I always screw it up to sushi, uh the fish market um are you a pescatarian do you eat fish
4: i i don't yeah i don't because i
2: mean that being such a large and prevalent part of you know the the meal um one daniel i'm sure you were exposed to things that you've never seen before and even though you now know what they are visually you still don't know what they are right exactly um (laughs) As an eater like that, as adventurous as you are, how do you, you know, understand what's on your plate?
3: Yeah, well, thankfully, because we were doing interviews, we did have translators with us. So we were able to ask yeah. questions about what's on our plate. Um, but despite that, there's still challenges texturally, you know, as far as being <laughs> uh, having a Western palate, no matter how, like, adventurous you are. Well,
2: I mean, go back to texturally. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what things. What things, uh, you know, hit that epiglottis, gave you a little gag reflux? You know, uh,
3: uh, Japanese like the mucus texture, Uh, stringy, stretchy kind of um, okra-type texture. And uh, there's the, um, what's the fermented soybeans for breakfast called? Natto. Natto. You know, there's things like that, which actually this time around... I've tried it before and thought it was horribly disgusting. I would never try it again. And, of course, being back in Japan, I had to try it again. And actually kind of enjoyed the flavor of it. You know, the, the texture is, is challenging. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably the biggest difference between Japanese, like, s- things that we actively um, search out as far as far as far as food goes. You know, I can't think of many westerners or americans europeans who would look for uh you know mucus (laughs) texture in their food whereas that's really something quite appealing you know you'll have like sea urchin with like a partially cooked egg with like grated mountain yam which is like super glutinous and just like all these things in a bowl together that are all slimy yeah (laughs) (laughs) and the flavor is really good but um the texture is challenging but i think you you know it's just you just got to go for it and try it and keep eating it until you like it too you know that's how i think you get over or learn to like any any food is just to
2: to re, to to get
3: over your brain you know <laughs>
2: get over the fear of the i mean you know. we
3: in china we i have eaten bugs before we have an episode um one of our more popular episodes i, lo- yeah, on- I love that episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's this amazing guy in Rhode Island David Gracer who eats, who who is an entomophagist it's like he's all about bugs and i tried a bunch of bugs but i tried like one or two so in yunnan which is in southern china their uh, bees are like a delicacy and we ordered them baby bees and you know as as a culture, you, you want to be generous. So I had this heaping bowl of bees that I had to eat. Um, and that was the most bugs that I've just like, all right, I'm going to eat this whole bowl and enjoy it. <laughs> and, yeah. it was,
4: and it was good. And every time you finished a bite, um, our guest kept on like taking a huge spoon and like putting more on his plate. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm, I was glad I was a vegetarian yeah. at that moment to be like, nah. Well.
2: We've talked a little bit about what you ate, and uh, we're going to take a quick break and come back to what you saw, because I'm sure there are plenty of splendors there as well. You've been listening to The Food Scene on heritageradionetwork.org. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to a track by cookies mixed specifically with the food screen radio network o r g
1: Today's program has been brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit www.suryfarms.com.
2: Hey, and welcome back to the Food Scene on Heritage. Radio Network.org. I'm your host, Michael Harland-Jerichel, again here today with the Perennial plate. Mira and Daniel. I didn't use your last names because of the rhyming thing.
4: I know, it gets weird. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> o- overseas, did people have a different uh, pronunciation for your name, so they didn't rhyme?
4: Um, No.
2: People are usually confused
3: by Mira's name. Yeah. However, we're about to go to India, and in India, Mira's name's from India, I guess, so that should be convenient. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so, first of all, the term, and you're going to have to say it for me, um, Gaijin... Oh <laughs> I yeah. suppose you should scream that it or something. Yeah. yeah. It all caps exclamation. <laughs> um What does it mean? Well,
3: gaijin is like the I guess the Japanese word for a foreigner. Yeah, Sometimes endearing, sometimes not. Um, and then dinner. So we kind of combine gaijin yeah. and, <laughs> and dinner together. Um, our friend Damien, who been who helps us put on a lot of the dinners that we've done around the country. Uh, came up with this crazy poster with this uh, lobster, pig, Godzilla type thing. Sort of a dinner attack concept.
2: Yeah, and this is for the dinner you're having this Thursday at Governor. uh, Also with guest chef Sean Brock. So that's pretty cool to have both Brad, Sean, you in the kitchen.
3: Yeah, so the idea is, um, you know, three white guys cooking Japanese food. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't expect traditional Japanese food, you know... uh, Takes on Japanese food. Although I'm cooking udon noodles, and I was up really late last night, continuing to work on my udon noodle recipe, which is really, really, really hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we one of the episodes we're doing is about this guy um, in just outside of Tokyo who has his own farm and grows his own wheat and buckwheat for both um, udon and soba, and so we saw him grow that and. And show us how to make it, and he made it look very easy. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it but it is not easy.
2: I'm sure he's slightly practiced.
3: Yes. So just midnight, forty five years of
4: practice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> midnight. We left this morning at seven to get to the airport. Last night at midnight, the kitchen was just covered in flour, and he was like standing in a bowl, you know, marching on this dough. And I was like, we really need to pack. Yeah, because <laughs> you're
3: Because you're supposed to actually walk on the dough. That's part of the kneading process. Is to like. Stomp on it, yeah. You know, so I was like in my boxers in the kitchen, <laughs> stomping. it. And those me. noodles have made it to Governor. No, I, okay. We are making a fresh <laughs>
2: fresh batch. No, b-
4: <laughs> he'll be fully clothed yeah. when he steps on it. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, I mean, speaking of things that you saw, uh, you saw this technique while you were in Japan. I mean, uh, and mirror as as you know the the videographer, um, the things you must have seen the the visual data must have just blown your mind what are some of the stories, what are some of the sites that have kind of, you know, changed the way you both approach shooting the perennial plate and now uh, techniques you bring back to the U.S.?
4: You go first. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean,
3: it's, um, so in, in places like China, there's so much, like, yeah, visual data, as you put it. So much going on in every shot and every scene. So you're sort of overwhelmed by how much video you can take. And and when we first started off on this trip we came back, I mean we filled over three terabytes of footage for this um, month that we were gone. And and so that's a, a terabyte and a half in, in Japan and the first video is two and a half minutes. So you're <laughs> talking you know, hundreds of hours boiled down to these um, these few minutes. So we really need to learn how to control ourselves. Um, we also have some great new gear. We got the, the 5D Mark three, which is like the newest Canon camera, which is pretty much impossible not to take a beautiful picture with. Yeah. It's sort of incredible. Um, so, yeah, it's a matter of, yeah, controlling yourself. I mean, in, and in China, and Yunnan province, there's the rice terraces. So it's like dusk, and there's, you know, hundreds of layers going down this mountain some guy bringing his ox back from the fields, another person carrying a bag of rice and kids playing in the fields. And you're like, how can I not film this for like three hours straight? You know? <laughs> it's just r- so visually stunning. It's so different that it's, yeah, it's hard not to overdo it. Yeah.
4: But the other thing is um, that I had difficulty with is like getting all up in people's business. <laughs> you know
2: <laughs> Especially with that get up in people's business dance you just did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
4: Thank you for noticing. <laughs> um, you know, because there's so many amazing scenes everywhere, everywhere you turn. And there were so many times when Daniel was like, you need to go and just like be right in there. And I was like, no, no, it's, it's hard. I don't want to I don't want to bug people, you know. And in, in Japan, I thought it would be um, a lot easier. A lot more people said no, no pictures in China. The first day I went up to this guy who was grilling meat outside and I said, hey, can I take your picture? And he said, no. And I went back and sat down next to our guide, and he was like, "Don't ask, just take it." Mm-hmm. And like a couple of days later, Daniel took the camera and just went up to him and started filming, and the guy let him do it. Same so we guy. kind of yeah. same guy. <laughs> so we kind of learned that you just have to, you know, when you go to a different country, you want to be really polite and um, kind and not, you know, um, invade people's spaces. Um, but you also learn that you kind of need to shoot until someone tells you to stop. Yeah, that's the hard.
3: It's better to easier to ask forgiveness than permission, yeah. kind of thing, and. It, and I mean, like in places like Hong Kong, if you think people taking pictures of the food is bad here, <laughs> it's insane there. Just like
2: flashes going off little yeah, camera phones. Yeah, everywhere.
3: Everyone is, is, and everyone has a nice camera too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's like incredible. So let's talk again about some of the things that you ate and maybe that are influencing the menu here. Uh, what were some of the best bites you had in Japan and China? And how are they, uh, you know being referenced in this upcoming dinner.
4: Well, I'm no chef, so I'm not allowed to contribute at all to the menu. That's not true. (laughs) Just kidding. But um, what I really liked in Japan was the tsakamono, which is the pickled things, Yeah. especially the pickled garlic, shiso pickled garlic, which is like hot pink, amazing, and our interpreter was like, don't eat too much, otherwise it's going to be really bad, and I was like...
5: (laughs) I'm going to eat it. with you. You can swear. Yeah. You can swear. Oh, can you? Yeah. yeah.
4: Oh, I was like, F you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to
3: eat two bowls of garlic.
4: I did. It was so good. And then I searched for it, and we went to these stores with, like, you know, the candy row of these stores was, I can only describe it as a miracle. Yeah. You know, I could spend hours in there. Um, And you could buy these, like, packages of liquid with the pink garlic, and it never was the same.
3: Yeah. We, like... You know, we'd spend the whole day filming, and it would be too late to find a place to dinner, so we just, like, go to the 7 and, like, <laughs> pick up, amazing. like, you know, every type of snack. I mean, one of the snacks they have is, like, you know, I don't know the part, you know, when you open a scallop, there's the, there's the scallop, the body, and then there's the innards. Yeah. You can buy, like, dried innards at the 7 <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Scallop extras.
4: No, um, but you can buy, like, full, like, a full-on fish head. Yeah. You know, at the Seven Eleven, You can buy it. Ready to eat. It's, a, it's a, amazing.
3: Actually, one of the really good things we had was like at a Seven Eleven, It was like an egg salad sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it was just incredible.
4: But we found it on the second to last day when I had been eating miso soup and rice every single day. But it's like a very cute egg yeah. salad it's sandwich. It's like a Twinkie... You know?
3: Yes. Yes. <laughs> egg salad sandwich, which sounds disgusting, I know. But,
2: I, I. But you know, I really like that, to inform yourself you didn't discriminate. You know, you're going to seven eleven And no, I'm saying this seriously, though. Slightly joking, but seriously. You know, you have to have that kind of context. And Seven I've not been in Japan, but I've been told, that holds a different kind of place uh, in people's daily lives. You know, it's not just a convenience store. It is the store where you pick up food. Full on dinners rather than chips and bits and pieces. I mean, it, it's much more well produced over there. Yeah. Um, and you know, We're talking getting sea urchin at the Seven Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, you know, again with all this visual data being like overstimulated, is a place like that hard to be? Um, because you know the udon, it seems like one thing done really well for you know decades upon decades. Um, what other things did you find like that in Japan?
3: Um, that I mean, that sushi meal that I had, which was at this masa, place called Masa, um, defied all expectations and possibilities that I have ever imagined for sushi. And I've you know been fortunate to go to Sushi Yasuda and some of the great places here in New York, and they're very they're very good. But bite after bite, I was given a new like definition of what each of these fish could taste like. And you know, you try thirty five different fish or maybe like, you know, three types of, um, mackerel and three types of, uh, you know, uni or different things like that, but where each bite was this perfect representation of that. That was mind blowing for me. Um, the other thing that I found, which is maybe the simplest thing in Japan and that I would like to have here in the United States at our gas stations is the onigiri, just the rice wrapped with, um with seaweed with some sort of filling, whether it's you know salmon or uh, pickled seaweed. It's just the best snack, healthy, delicious, easy. I would love to have that as part of my daily life.
2: You know? fill, fill up and fill up, yeah.
4: yeah. That, that was something you were thinking about for a while, putting in this dinner somehow.
3: Yeah, I, that was going to be, but we thought it was, I don't know, too
2: simple or something. <laughs> I would not have any qualms if yeah, you served Yeah, I, said, the I said you should do it. Now now I'm going to be a little pissed not
4: having one. <laughs> i going to be disappointed yeah, the yeah. whole time.
2: <laughs> um, aside from udon, what else are you serving at this meal? Um, we are serving... Um, I am serving uh,
3: mackerel sashimi. Um, there's going to be some Sean Brock is bringing up some of his, like, misos and kojis that he made with southern ingredients, which is pretty awesome. Um, Brad has his own soy sauce that he's been fermenting. Um, So there's a lot of cool, like, little bit of takes on Japanese food using ingredients from here, which I think is really exciting. Um, There's going to be some miso bread pudding with tapioca grape jelly, which should be incredible. I don't know. It It sounds... Mucus. Mucusy. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) mucusy. Exactly.
2: And uh, lucky diners, lucky me, uh, get to see the first two episodes of uh, this season, season three. Can you give us a little sneak peek as to what we might see? Because episode one gets released to the general public on Monday. Yeah,
3: so episode one is just... Is our experience in Japan condensed into three minutes. So just trying to showcase all of the wonders the you know crazy lights as well as the tradition as well as all the different foods that we ate basically we filmed everything all the time and tried to pack it into a small period yeah small so that's just an introduction kind of a teaser and then the first video is this beautiful udon experience that we had so i wanted to cook udon because the first official episode is about is about that
2: yeah so, India, Sri Lanka, Argentina, South Africa. So many more places to go. How do you ready yourself? Do you know the cuisines? Do you care? Or are you just going to get there and go? Yeah.
4: Um, it's kind of just getting there and, and going. I mean, I, I get really excited to go and, like, try all the food that is vegetarian.
3: Well, in, <laughs> India was on the top of Mira's. That was my number yeah. one choice. Yeah. Her, her, her list for where we wanted to go around the world. Um. I had actually spent a few months in India learn just learning about cooking before, so I'm excited to go back and film some of the stuff that I had learned about before um, but yeah, we basically like it's like a mad rush to research to think of ideas and you know to do stuff basically our the whole concept of our show has always been like we're interested in sustainability we're interested in food let's. Go film the people who we think are cool and would we'd like to learn about and hear their stories, and try their food and etc. And then hopefully other people will like that too. Yeah. So we're just you know really trying to research the things that believe we, that you me.
2: Like. I I do this radio show by the same mantra. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. It, it's again a pleasure to have you on. I will be uh, so excited to see these first episodes and uh, always intrigued to. Uh, vicarious to live through your travel <laughs> one day hopefully join you on these things too but can't wait congratulations and looking forward to seeing more Thank and you. and there's both. a few tickets left for that thing few tickets and you can go where to find out both through perennial plate and, and call governor or call governor yeah excellent and i'm solo dining so if you'd like to sit next to me you can request that too <laughs> <laughs> thanks again daniel mira thanks, thanks for check out us. the perennial plate Season 3, starting soon. You've been listening to The Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org We hope to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network.